Leonora. Hi, Ashley. Well, we've done it. We've yes. made it through and we've come out the other side. We've watched every Tarantino. We've watched them all and we talked about them all. Yes. We a had lot. a lot of big feelings about yep. all of them. Yep. And turns out we're the biggest fans of Quentin Tarantino on the yeah. planet. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. Yeah, I mean, and it's and it's kind of weird because it's it's not as though I didn't enjoy his films. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've been a, I've been a lifelong fan of his movies, right? But not like this, <laughs> like. And I was I feel like I've enjoyed all of his movies at one time or another in the past, mm-hmm. but something was keeping me skeptical about his work as a whole body. And turns not out anymore. it was it was just it was just society that was holding yes. us back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's it's weird. Like I'm so curious what it is that's causing people to write him off. I wish I knew. I mean, I wonder if it's like just like a certain segment of the fan base and the way they talk about the films on the internet. Like Rick and Morty fans. Right. <laughs> right. Or People who like Fight Club for the wrong reasons. Or yeah. There's a lot of people media who like, like this. Um, Breaking Bad for the wrong reasons. People who watched The Matrix and thought the red pill meant something it really doesn't. <laughs> yeah. They're confused on that one. Really. And at, at a certain point, it becomes willful ignorance, right? Yeah. Oh, at this point, yes. Very much in that case. And I think, I think with... Tarantino as well. Um, You know, I don't mean to blow up anybody's spot, but um, I want to mention like the the YouTuber Ryan Hollinger, whom I really like. Mm -hmm. Big fan of his work. He makes YouTube uh, video essays mostly about horror films, and he recently uh, talked about killer car movies. So of course he had to talk about Death Proof. Yeah, he mentioned Death Proof a little bit, but he felt that there wasn't much that was being brought to the conversation in that film. He said, you know, it's a good pastiche, but it's not contributing much to the genre. And I deeply, deeply disagree. I think it turns the genre on its head. It was intended to do that. Yes, clearly. Clearly. And, you know, if you just, like, and so I was a little shocked to to hear that from him because normally he, I I find his takes to be really um, thoughtful. Right. And so I was like, was he tired? Like, <laughs> I don't it's know. It's hard to say. It's it's weird because I feel like possibly with Quentin, his movies may, like, you may get out of them as much as you put into them. That's kind of a pet theory of mine now. Yeah, and some make you work harder than others. Yeah. You know, it's like Kill Bill Volume 1. You don't have to put very much in to have a good time. Right. 
that's a fun machine right as a as a movie right i think movies like that create an expectation of that from certain of his other movies that yeah. may require more thought like i think you see this a lot in the response to the hateful eight yes people were just so frustrated by how not fun it is that they were missing a lot of like meaty thematic yeah stuff, stuff. real stuff in that movie yeah. uh yeah, I I think so. Maybe it's just like it's the, his films are deceptively challenging. Yeah. So people walk in and say, "Well, it wasn't good because they weren't anticipating being challenged." Right. And so they weren't allowing themselves to right. be challenged. Exactly. Yeah. And we went into this probably the best way we possibly could have <laughs> by deciding that good or bad, we were going to pick it apart. We were going to just dissect it. And what a shock. Because how many other, like, bodies of work are better the more you pick them apart? It's usually very it rare. Doesn't, usually it doesn't go that way. No. Usually you find something to criticize. Turns out we found things to love. Yes. And very yeah. little to criticize. Yeah, it's strange. I thought for sure I'd dig in and be like, oh, there's some themes that I didn't notice before. That right. are bad. No, there's a bunch of themes I didn't notice before that are very good. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I think it's interesting because like, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder with Tarantino if like, if you're just looking at his movies on a surface level, mm-hmm. you could think there was quite a bit of bothersome stuff in the man's filmography. Uh-huh. But on a thematic level, what it's in service of tends to be on the money more often than not. Yeah, I think so. Like, sometimes people are afraid to talk about the unpleasant things, but that's the only way to address the unpleasant things. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's interesting too, and I harp on about this about The Hateful Eight, but I think it's true of like almost every single one of his movies. Like, sometimes people just don't want to see things depicted that are uncomfortable or bothersome. Yeah. And if those things show up in a movie, it's like just an automatic sign that the, that the director is acting in bad faith by including things like that in the film. Right. And it's like, I'm I'm almost with you. It's like, if it's like, you know what? There are just certain things that I just don't yeah. want to see. And it's yeah, like, yeah. that is a personal choice yeah. and you are absolutely in the right for making that. But then to take it as far as, and they're bad for doing right. it. It's like, no, right. hold on now. That's that's bad faith. You have to look at what it's saying in the context of the, of the story. If you want to criticize it. Yeah. You no yeah. one is required yeah. to look at anything. Yeah. <laughs> but if you want to criticize something, you have to engage with it. Yeah. In its own context. Yes. Yes. But that's what we did. And it turns yeah. out it, it rules. Exactly. <laughs> what the heck? I don't know. I don't know. Um. So shall we just... Shall we just talk about the... So we watched Four Rooms. We watched Four Rooms. Ashley watched Four Rooms. I tried my best. Well, and the funny thing is I realized partway through the movie, I had actually previously watched the whole thing in the past and just forgotten. And you ended up watching the whole thing again for a second Well, I paid $3.99 to rent it on Amazon, so... (laughs) Yeah. I was gonna watch the whole thing. And, you know... I mean, I will say this. It's not a good film. No. It's not It's not good. We it's agree there. It's fairly idiotic. 
I found it at times to be somewhat charming in a deeply <laughs> campy kind of way. I thought it was trying so hard to be in a way that turned me off. Yeah, yeah. And there were some parts that maybe made me giggle a little bit, mostly at the very beginning and the very end. Yeah. For most of it, I was just confused about why it exists. It, that is the question, <laughs> What huh? is the point of Four Rooms? Who wanted this? I mean, it's interesting because I can see where it follows like a strange tradition of like, Movies I feel like, especially from the 60s, like mm -hmm. comedies that tended to be sort of like formally loose and fragmented. Like the one Jerry Lewis movie I've seen sort of reminded me of this a little bit. And he gets name checked so much that I was right. like, that well, has to I, be on purpose. And I feel like it, that that movie, The Bellhop, has to be a, a significant inspiration for this film. I did think it was funny, though, just to say it, that uh, Tarantino in his a sort of long-winded appearance in this movie, talks about how The Bellhop is Jerry Lewis's best film because he doesn't talk at all in it. <laughs> and he's and the for, talkiest guy. And for some reason, this movie has has Tim Roth uh, both, like, mugging and slapsticking and also talking all the time. He does it all in this movie. Which is where it lost me. Tim Roth does everything in this movie. He's he does doing every too much all the that time. He he's He's always moving. He's... His face is like contorting in all these weird ways, even when there's nothing going on. It's, it's too much. I will say, he's clearly very good at clowning. It's but just why he's is been he clowning so much because he was told to. I just was struggling so much to understand his character. Like there's yeah. no there's no like audience point of entry for him at all. Like there, no. I, I just was, there doesn't need to be an explanation for why he's like this, but I was thinking the whole time, why is he like this? Like, what is his deal? Because it's just silly. That's why. He made me nervous. <laughs> well, and it was so interesting to me that, like, the little bits of backstory they decided to pepper in for him. That almost made me more nervous. Yeah, it's Because at first really I was weird. just like, oh, do they just think that everything he's doing is, like, cute fun and silly and it was sort of a miscalculation yeah and i could live with that but I mean, then there's all these little hints that he's like a severely traumatized person it got a little dark uh and that just again <laughs> makes everything he does super uncomfortable i you know it's a super fucking weird comparison to make given the sort of vibe and quality of this film but I, I was getting sort of a sense of the Commedia dell'arte in him as a character. Okay. Like, he's just sort of a stock character. It's like, okay, he is the put-upon right. service industry worker. Right. And he's just doing his best, and he's he's at the end of his rope, but he's he can't he can't stop and he's clowning and he's wacky and he's not really any real person. I can see where the attempt was made. Yeah. I think the, the key issue that separates him from a successful example of that archetype is that he's not likable. Right. Yes. I, I would not claim that this was successful in any way. Uh, that but makes I, sense that that's what they were attempting. But I get sort of a, an Arlecchino vibe yeah. from him. No, that's true. He was trying to do that. Yeah. And I think they should have picked an actor either more or less endearing. Yeah, maybe so. I think they should have either picked someone who we inherently like. Like, 
I don't know if there's there's no modern day equivalent of Buster Keaton, but that's the kind of character he could play, like somebody who's just really put upon and you want to see him succeed. Uh-huh. Or needs to be somebody who you're just like, you you take glee in seeing them get kicked around. Right. It needs because, to be one or the other. Because, it, yeah, it's like, are we supposed to feel bad for this guy? Or are we supposed to have a sense of schadenfreude at his expense? I don't think it worked either way. No. Because if you're supposed to feel bad for him, it's just not successful as a comedy at all. Yeah. Because the situations he gets into are so intense. It's a lot. And yeah, and just di- ever, and I mean that's part of the difficulty when you have you know sort of m- several voices in discrete yeah. parts. It's they're just going to be uneven. They're I not it gonna was weird because the movie is almost pretty consistent in its badness, except for the Tarantino part. I know it is kind of weird, like watching is... through the whole movie and then getting to that last part and being like, oh, it's a real fucking movie right now. It is more consistent than most anthology films, even some anthology films that are only directed by the same people all the way through. <laughs> but it's not good consistent. No, it's really bizarre. It's really bizarre. It's really odd, especially because like it's four filmmakers, three of whom I'd heard of, one of whom I had to Google. Yeah. Who, in 1995, there was Quentin Tarantino, who had just made Pulp Fiction. And then there were the other three who were sort of like indie names. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez was... Was up and coming. Yeah, Alison Andrews had made three movies and she would make like her one big studio film the next year. And Mm -hmm. then the other guy whose name I keep forgetting. Alexandra uh, Rockwell. Has had won like a prize at Sundance, I guess, a couple years before this. But mm-hmm. isn't very well known still. I found his section to be the weirdest for me. His was the one where I decided I needed to start fast forwarding through parts <laughs> of the movie. Just just for the sake of my own sanity. Mm-hmm. Because it takes too many turns. It's just it's just n- nonsense. It's just front to but back nonsense. But it's like nonsense. intense nonsense. Intense. Like I was trying to tell will about this movie and particularly (laughs) that part of it afterward and i just couldn't i couldn't describe it it's just unpleasant well the tone the tone is unfathomable like i'm like well so he gets mixed up in like this this crazy husband thinks his wife has cheated on him and so it's not even really clear what what he thinks thinks. and but it's like i'm like so he's like layers of like games that they're playing with each other right and so and i'm like she's tied up in a chair and he's like being held hostage and and will's like oh so it's like a big crazy high drama and i'm like no it's not drama no it's it's trying it's (laughs) trying to be funny but it's like they didn't even work out what was going on. Right. It's like, not clear you, what anybody you, is wanting. Like there's no <laughs> there's... <laughs> I I'm so confused by it. I don't know. And it's especially weird since that the lady who's tied to the chair in that segment shows up in the Tarantino segment. Yeah. For for no real reason. Except... Well, and you know like there are some crossovers between yeah. the various Segments like the kids in the misbehaviors yeah, call the, that yeah, room and mm-hmm. talk to him. Yeah. Uh, so like, it's all sort of. Yeah, and it. I really wanted more out of the misbehaviors, which is the Robert Rodriguez yeah. segment, mostly because I have been watching Robert Rodriguez's wackadoodle terrible children's movies all month. Aha! Uh-huh, he does have some wackadoodle children's movies. And this feels like a 
clear precursor to that? It, ha- it is like just a, like a Rosetta Stone for Robert Rodriguez's work. Antonio it's... Banderas is there. There are mischievous children who are in a, like a sibling bickering type of relationship. Yep. There's a there's a dead sex worker. Right. There's drugs. There's but alcohol. I just and... couldn't stand any of it, and it felt slow. <laughs> I was, I kept just like skipping through bits of it and then just like looking on Wikipedia to see like, okay, what did I miss? Cause I couldn't sit through it all. Yeah. And I never do that. <laughs> okay. Well, how about we just briefly start at the top? Okay. Because it's, we barely have talked about the first section. Which I was, I found less objectionable, but totally bonkers. It's bonkers. It's, it's just goofy and silly and kind of cute and kind of boring. Yeah, I mean, it, it has witches. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's Alison Anders. Yeah, so the movie begins with Tim Roth, yeah. Ted the bellboy, sort of getting a rundown of how his job works. Yeah. You know, good luck. And then we go to the honeymoon suite, tit- which the segment is titled The Missing Ingredient. Right. Yes, this is the Alison Anders. And, and, and for it- the first 10 minutes, it's not necessarily even like visually or storyline clear what is going on at all. We yeah, we get these various women arriving. Um, so this is the segment about the witches. Yes. The witches and the they're, they're, le- lesbian Madonna witch in vinyl. I was, there was like a weird <sighs> joke with her and her younger girlfriend or whatever, but mm-hmm. I thought that she was fine. Madonna was fine yeah they're all fine everyone is fine a lot of them don't really get time to be characters like there's a hippie one and there's kind of a more innocent one and that's and there's madonna and the one with a cat yeah one who's really really into her cat (laughs) is she supposed to be some kind of southern belle I think so, but her her performance was so weird that I couldn't really tell. It was really hard to place. Honestly, Lesbian Madonna Witch is probably the best of all of them. Mm-hmm. And most of her screen time is just like people making weird jokes to the fact that she's a lesbian. Yes. Which is very 90s. It's very 90s. I did find her sort of riot girl, teen girlfriend yeah. to be pretty endearing i think she was my favorite character in the whole movie yeah she she actually had like an arc a little miniature a little arc as arc a character because, yeah and her fashion sense was amazing it was pretty fun with her braids and her boob tape boob tape yeah very 90s and um taking off her shirt during the second uh mm-hmm. ritual Rich, and yeah. no one else and her being like wait i thought you we were you doing topless <laughs> <laughs> so she was good i actually yeah. looked up that actress because i'd never heard of her Mm-mm. and she was just a 90s indie person i guess she was on twin peaks i don't remember her. i don't either i mean you rewatch it so maybe i'll keep right. an eye out <laughs> uh yeah i mean it's just silly these witches are in the honeymoon suite trying to do a ritual in order to free their imprisoned goddess yeah uh and then ted is um required yeah. <laughs> because they need some semen I was so confused about what this part of the movie is even supposed to be. There was very little point to it. It's like almost a little too short to be anything, but at the same time, compared to the other three segments, I was relieved at how short it was. It was short. It was relatively consequence-free. It was just fine. I mean, there's a dubious 
consent issue in terms of him being seduced right and it's like the cgi with the that, it was pretty silly very looney tunes that was when i was just like okay i can't say this is a good movie no matter what else happens <laughs> yeah well at that point i was willing i was like all right so we're we're doing camp sure i can sure. live with camp and there's a lot of edits that are sort of funny in uh -huh. a very sort of 60s campy way like uh -huh. the big like question mark edit yeah and things like that that are fun yeah like, those are fun. It's fun those are fun it's things. a fun segment the rhymes that the witches are saying their little their little spells <laughs> are very funny and cute um yeah madonna's madonna so madonna's she's always madonna. great was, to see this was like back when her acting still had some legitimacy to it Right, she was sort of tr just, just sort of trying it out, and she was trying. Yeah, she was trying. <laughs> still, at she this was point, still, it was it's the mid '90s, and and Madonna's just ascending, uh, still ascending. But yeah, it was fine. It was fine. It was fun. It was. I was kind of like, what is this? But not in a bad way. Yeah, it was kind of charming and weird. The only thing I really was irritated by was Tim Roth because he's so much manic he's so serious he to calm down he does I, w I was like i was like uh, sort of on the fence the 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 part where madonna puts his tip down the front yeah. of, her, of her bodice and makes him come and get it yeah. from her cleavage it, that's really funny that's funny the problem is he's like squirming he's like he's that uncomfortable so all much. the time right and in a scene like that it works uh-huh. But it's weird because, like, later on in the film, it's almost like when you think he would act like he does ambiently normally. Mm -hmm. Those are his most calm moments. Yeah, in the film. he's definitely very inconsistent, sort of. And sometimes he's, like, a mean asshole, quite frankly. He's really wretched at times. And other times you feel really bad for him because, like, no one deserves to be in some of these situations. Well, like, in the Rodriguez one, just, like, everyone is terrible. Everyone is terrible. Everyone is terrible. But I was surprised at like how really like unwarrantedly awful he is to the children. <laughs> he is. He's very mean. Even from what we've seen of him up until that point, it's not doesn't feel internally consistent. No, it doesn't. To his character. But All right. So anyhow. after the missing ingredient. Yeah. Which um, like is is fine. He comes off pretty okay from that one. Right. It's um, yeah. kind of charmingly whimsical. And it's like, wow, okay, witches and magic and that it just is real. Sure. And they do the ritual and then it works. Great. Yeah, cool. Magic is real. Fine. Uh, and then we <laughs> get room 404, the wrong man. So um, Ted gets a call from yeah. room 404. Some some partiers yeah um so having a new because it's new year's eve we didn't yeah. mention that yeah this, this all takes place is a new year's eve movie it takes place on new year's eve he gets a call from room 404 from lawrence bender <laughs> drunken right. lawrence bender right uh that they need ice yeah um and i, I believe lawrence bender is credited as something like like filthy long-haired yuppie or something like that sure <laughs> Sure. Uh, they're like, there's like a conga line in the background. They're just having a stupid New Year's party. Yeah. Um, and so this is Alexandra Rockwell's segment. Mm -hmm. And Ted gets some ice, but ends up in the wrong room. Because it's sort of implied that the party people are drunk and they don't know. They, they right. They're actually the on, the wrong, wrong. on the other floor. 
but he goes into this room and he finds himself in this weird situation where this man has a gun and he has his wife tied, tied to, to a, a chair, chair and gagged. And he's basically put through like this weird psychological torture routine. Right, where it's like at first it seems like what's going on is that this man believes that his wife has slept with another person and, and has mistaken Ted for that person because his name is also theodore yes uh maybe it's not clear but then it sort of seems like it may be more consensual than we initially were led to believe right and this is some maybe. kind of game that this husband and wife play but but more that they're like sort of tormenting each other in this weird psychosexual it felt game it felt unfortunate to me it Definitely probably hit differently now than it would have in 95. Even I feel like it seems like the kind of thing that would show up in like something from older than that even. It, like, it does. It feels a little late, but especially now it's just like, wow, yeah. this is gross. And it's weird because the only attempts at humor uh -huh. in this whole segment really other than like easy physical gags yeah um are based on like sort of like cagey homophobia or like it is a it is a surprisingly homophobic segment like i was like where did this come from it's so random like, where did it this didn't even have to be in there it didn't it didn't but the whole it just feeds into this overall like idea that the joke is that these people are just like horny right and they're just <laughs> and that playing makes out them evil this weird thing <laughs> Right. I will say this is the one segment where it made sense for Tim Roth to be absolutely as uncomfortable as he seems. Right, because it's a crazy situation and there's a gun and he's just like freaked out and it's just like, yeah, this is a this is a heightened scenario. And it's not funny, it's just stressful. It is and it's like clearly meant to be funny. Like it, it it's has trying the way too hard. It has the tr it believes itself to be funny. But yep. it, it's just mystifying yeah uh, this guy ends up having a heart condition maybe maybe but it seems like he faked it but he's got a lot of medication and he keeps like chewing he's pills popping all these pills something's wrong with this guy clearly uh yeah tim roth almost gets vomited on by lawrence bender yeah. through a window yeah I don't have much to say about this because I it can barely me, parse it. Lost it. me totally. I, I can't tell you what happened in it. I can't describe it. This was the point in the movie where I went into survival mode. Yeah, and it, I was just like, I'm just trying to get to our boy. Like, and I knew he was at the very end. And uh -huh, they like, make you wait for suffering. it. They make you wait. Yeah, um, he ends up being able to just sort of escape yeah. when the wife starts tormenting the husband. Yeah. Um, and he has, like, a window of opportunity to just sort of leave. And it's like, oh, they're just doing a thing. And then another guy shows up, and maybe he's the actual guy they were expecting. But I don't know. What's the point of any of it? Nothing. There isn't. This is my frustration, because I feel like when it's just, like, stylish witches doing a right. funky ritual, you can be like, this is pointless, but it's not unfun. It's charming. This segment is super unfun. Not fun, not good, not pleasant. Nothing nothing to suggest, nothing to recommend here. Yep. 
just let's move on. And then we've got Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> Room 309, The Misbehaviors. And this segment is long. It's long, but it has the most attractive interracial couple I've ever seen. Yes. My entire life. Yes. <laughs> Uh, which is very Rodriguez. Yep. Uh, Especially Anto- since the guy is Antonio Banderas. He is so fucking charming. Like, he's awful, yeah, he's but terrible. in the most fun way. And and Rodriguez is good at that. Yeah. Making just, like, really wretched people just, like, Seem charming. funny to watch. Sure. Yeah. Very yeah. funny. Very cool and funny. Yeah. Um... Yeah, this this family, uh, they're getting ready for a New Year's party, and then mom and dad are like, let's ditch the kids and have yep. fun tonight because we hate our children. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they seem like just awful children, so. Yeah, awful parents, awful children. They're all awful. Yeah. And so they're like, hey, kids, actually, you're going to stay in the hotel room while we go to the party. Be good. Um, and then they catch the little boy trying to climb out the window. Yeah. Which is actually funny. That is very funny. <laughs> um, and so they conscript Ted into babysitting. And he's not about it. He's super not he about it. He agrees to it for money. Because that's the only thing Ted cares about. That's it, literally possibly the thesis for the film. Right. Well, and it feels, again, I, I keep coming back to Arlecchino because the whole... Right character of Arlecchino is that he is the hungry servant. Right. So everything he's doing, he's just doing to get his next meal. Right. And that's what Ted's doing. I guess that's fair. I just think he's doing too much. No, no, it's not good, but it's... <laughs> I, I think that, the, honestly, I actually believe that that is where this whole character is coming is, from. That was the intention. And then for some reason they just had him mug so much that it because drowns everything else they out. they don't understand how clowning actually works. I guess that's really the point, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's, clowning is much harder than people think it is. Well, it's like, there has to be some, like, breathing space. Some balance. Yeah, and so it's like, seeing Tim Roth's performance, I could see him very successfully clowning like he's got the moves he's got the face he's got the whole vibe right they just they've just balanced it all wrong yeah they have him like contorting his body and and face swishing around and... and i didn't understand what that was supposed to imply at all i think he was just being like a cartoon character but there's nothing to prompt him to act that way he's just trying to be a fancy bellboy i don't know he's just snooty sometimes it didn't and make not sense. snooty it other did, times it didn't make sense to me it's just funny to look at i feel like it would have been great comedy from him if it had all been reactive and then mm-hmm. when he didn't have anything to react to he was a little more normal mm-hmm. and that would have been fine it would have worked better but because he's so like wired out of his gourd all the time when he does have things to react to, you're like, he's acting the same as he does walking down the hallway. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not great. Um, but he hates these children. He hates these children. I gotta say, like, in, I have to go back to Antonio Banderas because he's so fucking funny in yes. this. <laughs> I loved everything he was doing. Yes. Um, it just as this mean, mean dad. Yeah. With the... The, I, like, actually laughed out loud when, like, he's telling his kids, like, you have, like, be good while yep. we're gone. Um, there's this clo- yep. extreme <laughs> close-up on his face, and he says, 
behave. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's really like funny. This intense whisper, and it cracked me the fuck <laughs> up. He's so funny. Uh, so I loved that. Um, but that's yeah, great. <laughs> they bribe Ted with some money to yeah. periodically check in on the kids and yeah. make sure they go to bed before midnight. And hijinks ensue because these are naughty children. Yeah. Um, and uh, the little boy turns on a sexy channel. Right. And apparently that is Selma Hayek. Really? Yeah, on the TV. Oh, that's bananas. Yeah. I didn't recognize her. Well, you don't really you see, don't her, see her, face. her face. You just see her torso yeah. kind of contorting and writhing around <laughs> in, in a bikini. In a generic way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's like, that's oh, yeah. Funny. Uh, yeah, that, that's Selma Hayek, <laughs> now that I think about it. Um, the kids... You know, pop open the bottle of champagne yep. and spill it everywhere. They, yep. they, keep, but they keep smelling a weird smell throughout. And like that actually, I thought yeah. was kind of successful was this sort of like recurring right. element of like, what's that smell? Your feet smell bad. My feet yeah. don't smell bad. Smell my feet. No, yeah. yeah. Kick you in the head. Kick you off the bed. Uh, I just thought it was prolonged. It, it was, it. This segment could have been edited a little yeah. bit more. Literally, my my only real gripe with it is just slow. But they find a syringe. They play yeah. darts with it. Cringy uh, as hell. Yeah. Uh, they they he tries to make them go to bed with yeah. some vapor rub, but they're <laughs> smarter than him and just wash it off. Yeah. These kids are really cute. <laughs> like these little actors are really I was quite cute. That, too. Like, that little boy with his little yeah. missing tooth. He's very cute. I feel like this is just Robert Rodriguez doing his weird little, like, dry run for Spy Kids. I think so. As weird as that is to say. <laughs> he, he, there are the, just the little flavors yeah, in there. Uh-huh. Where it's like you've got sort of the, the earlier Rodriguez elements, yeah, the grimy, yeah. gritty, you know, Desperado-y yeah, stuff. But then it. we've got the wacky children hijinks in yeah. there that he also likes yeah. to do. Uh-huh. It's got all the weird yeah. elements coming together in this <laughs> bi- very odd package. Um, but the kids end up finding a a, a dead woman in yep. their box spring, and yep. that's what the smell was. And I, I gotta say, during this segment, the little girl was cracking me up. <laughs> Um, when she's on the phone with Ted and he like won't listen to her, right. he thinks she's just making some shit up, and she's like seriously concerned. <laughs> she, because because essentially he because he's just not taking her seriously. And she's like, right. you have to get up here, and she tells him, uh, like if you don't get up here and deal with this, my dad is gonna lay you right next to her. I swear to fucking god. <laughs> and this, like, this little fucking eight year old girl is like, my dad is gonna lay you right next to her. I swear to fucking god. <laughs> Her delivery was perfect. It was the funniest thing. Like, when this girl gets, like, hyphy, she's hilarious. I swear to fucking God. (laughs) And uh, so he does eventually believe, he comes up and sees the dead woman and um, freaks out and starts calling this woman a dead whore. And... The girl does not like that. She finds fair. this very... And it's like, good guess. Yeah, that's fair. This kid is woke. Don't just <laughs> yell that. Don't call... Have some respect. <laughs> and he won't stop saying it. And she's like, stop saying that. Stop calling her that. And yep. so she stabs him in the leg with the syringe. Yep. 
it's a big syringe it too. It freaked me out. It's I... not like a heroin needle. No. It's like a big medical crazy syringe. I'm gonna say that prop is like why I was like fast forwarding through parts of this. Honestly, segment. it was like the adrenaline needle yeah, from Pulp Fiction. It was Fiction. freaking me out. It was huge. <laughs> weirdly big not not really what you'd expect to yeah. find in a hotel room no don't know what that was used for uh <sighs> yeah it's not a drug needle because you wouldn't be able to do that it's just, <laughs> you wouldn't be able it's to use just it like a cartoon prop like, it is for no reason it is just this big wacky cartoon prop um, but it, then the punchline of the section is actually right. really funny because like right. everything goes crazy. You know, the liquor spills and the yeah, cigarette gets like fire. the room's on yeah. fire. He's like grabbing the woman, the dead woman's yeah. leg. He's got a the needle in his hand that he's yeah. pulled out of his leg, and the kids are like ah, and the little boy's smoking. Yeah, and, of course, and then fucking. Antonio Banderas comes in carrying his unconscious wife. Right, sees this insane scenario yeah. everything's on fire and he says did they misbehave <laughs> like it's just so funny to me it's so it's so stupid it's a good punchline it it's, takes a long time to get there but it's a good punchline it's line. a great punchline i i definitely it's not a perfect it's just segment but it's head and shoulders above the previous oh, yeah, one yeah definitely definitely so i really quite enjoyed it it's it just made me uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> it's got a lot of stuff to be uncomfortable with <laughs> in it. I uh, gotta say, Robert, mashing together the child hijinks yeah. and the grimy underworld stuff is not a, at, not the best move. At least, at least we know enough about him for it not to be too big of a surprise, even if it's weird as hell. Yes, it fits within. His oeuvre. Yes. Very neatly. Maybe more so than Quentin's segment does. Yeah, so let's... Talk about why we're here. Yes. So, the next segment begins with Ted at the end of yeah. his rope, back at the front desk, and he calls his boss, Betty, who is played by Kathy Griffin. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> For some reason. And he has this very funny, very Tarantino conversation with this super stoned woman who answers the phone. She's played by Marissa Tomei. Yes. It's funny. Uh, it's Tarantino. Sure. It's just one of Tarantino's, like, drugged up hippie girls. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's you know, it's that. I liked her look. Yeah. yeah. She was cool. She was pretty funny. And... I sort of felt like this part of the segment was, like, only there to justify why he doesn't quit immediately after the previous events. Yeah. <laughs> That, I'd quit. Exactly. <laughs> I would quit already. Yes. Uh, so he ends up talking to Betty on the phone and she kind of talks him down and is like, no, you're mm -hmm. a hero. Just hang in there a little bit longer. You're getting a call from the, the fancy movie star in the penthouse. Yep. Just help him out and then you can go home. I promise. Uh, and thus begins Penthouse, the man from Hollywood. Yes. Um, now we're in Quentin Tarantino Quentin Taran territory. <laughs> I am surprised that that has not been said yet. That that neither of us said that already before. Uh, oh no! And it is ostensibly based on the short story "Man, Man from, from the South" right. by Roald Dahl, but it is more referencing the Alfred Hitchcock Presents short based on. Man from the South. Yes. 
So, I don't know. Which they cite as the man from Rio. The ma- Yes, they call it the wrong thing, but they're all drunk, so yeah. I'm sure that's an intentional choice. Uh, and we were not sure whether it counts as an adaptation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know quite how to distinguish. What, like, it's at what like point a, does something become an adaptation? A story where they're like, have you seen this thing? Let's this do the what, thing in it. do the thing from this old episode of TV. Like, I don't know if that's an adaptation or just an extended, like, reference. We're good. I just spilled a little bit of LaCroix, okay. but it's fine. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> Ted is talked down and he goes upstairs to the penthouse and he has a like a room service cart with some odd objects on it. Yeah. Not all of which are explained. No, I was I was still confused at the end. There are various objects which do not come into play, which they asked for. So it's not I don't know, but he comes up. Ball of twine. The first thing he sees when arriving at the penthouse is two naked women sort of running Running out of the room. room. Says nothing good. Not a great sign. Um, And then he arrives at the door, and the wife Angela from room four hundred four is there. And he's like, "Oh no! Oh no! It's you! What about your husband?" And she's like, "He's asleep." Uh, And she's like been swimming i think because they say they met her at the pool right so yeah. she's wearing like a robe and a towel and sure. you can see her swimsuit like drying on the bar right um and tarantino plays what chester chester somebody reeve something somebody. like that yeah, i don't remember uh, he's a movie star which it's so funny to me yes his performance in this is good yeah better yeah. than usual but totally fine but the idea that quentin tarantino would be a movie star uh, yeah cracks me up a little bit it is funny and i you know i believe that he has cast himself in this role with no small degree of self-consciousness oh, of like he knows what he's doing um so he he's kind of schmoozy and yeah. he's very cool and just chatty he's monologuing a lot um and he, when he arrives, yeah, the, he's just like totally just chatting up Ted and not really letting him leave mm-hmm. um, and talks to him about the Jerry Lewis movie, The Bellboy, mm-hmm. and like goes on this long diatribe about how good it is. He goes on a long diatribe, moreover, about how good Jerry Lewis is yes. and how he's only appreciated in France and, and how when he dies, the hypocrisy of America will be revealed when suddenly he will every, be brilliant again. Yes. Um, Which actually was my favorite part of the whole movie, that monologue. Yeah, clearly he's speaking from the heart. Um, and this is all sort of from, it's like a POV shot from... It's one of many extremely long takes in this segment. It's basically all long take Steadicam. The whole the whole segment is like five shots. And yeah. it's like 40 minutes long. It's It feels halfway it's like... like almost a, half the movie is yeah. this segment. It feels a little like a play, but it also just kind of feels like you are present in the room. Yes. It also it, the, kind of felt to me like they were trying to get through it. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but the way that like the, the Steadicam just sort of like walks through the yeah. room and follows people around, yeah. it just sort of feels like you're somebody else who's yeah, there. Yeah, it feels like you're a person in, in there observing this. Mm-hmm. Almost like you could easily imagine like, Somebody, like, retrofitting this segment for, like, a VR headset or something. Oh, that would be interesting. Oculus Rift, four rooms. <laughs> I don't know. 
Uh, we are. That's how it felt to me, though. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Like right. It was trying to make you feel like you were there. Like a little bit like an on rail shooter, except you just you can't do anything but watch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You're like trapped that. in it. Uh, Terrible. <laughs> no, these awful Hollywood people. <laughs> um. So we are also introduced to Norman, played by right. Paul Calderon, mm-hmm. um, and Leo, who is played by Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis. Who was not credited. Not credited, which makes me think that he just showed up to do this. Well, his Quentin. character was mostly superfluous. And I think also Bruce Willis was like so famous at the time that they thought maybe, I would think maybe they thought his credit would like unbalance it. Because sometimes you have like famous stars like yeah. doing a cameo in a movie and they're uncredited because they don't want people to think, oh, it's a Bruce Willis movie. Right. But Madonna's in this movie. Madonna's in it. So, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know why he's not credited. Uh, it's odd. He's yeah. got a weird goatee. Yeah. Maybe and he wasn't happy with his performance. I don't know. I don't know. He barely even needs to be there. He doesn't really do anything or serve any he purpose. He mostly seems like he's there to take up time. Yeah, because he's having this argument with his wife over the phone. I didn't understand what that had to do with anything. It didn't. <laughs> it didn't. That's the answer. Um, and, like, they're just sort of not letting Ted leave, but yeah. he doesn't really know why. Yeah. Um, they just... have this long argument about the crystal that yeah. somebody left uncorked and it's gone flat. It just seems like an excuse for Quentin to freak out and quentin just won't stop talking about crystal this whole fucking he's talking segment crystal he's talking about how much the movie made that he was in and it has some sort of wacky title that i've already forgotten i uh, yeah i don't know <laughs> but it, yeah uh it's but just business they get interrupted by bruce willis like throwing shit yeah he's he breaks his phone having a fight with his wife um and like Angela's just sort of lounging around, being she present. She doesn't care at all. <laughs> uh, and they eventually get around to going through the the many stuff, weird items, the items on the cart. Um, there's like a a ball of twine. And Quentin's like, that sure is a ball of twine. Oh boy, Next. look at that ball of twine! And they just like it one, never comes back. It doesn't. Was it meant to be like? Is it for like a, a tourniquet? Doesn't they don't say like that would. I, I don't know. The three That's, the three nails are I guess like a reference to something that I didn't understand. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, that, like Quentin says, like something. That's oh, clearly, he asked for that. Yeah. yeah, it's clearly a reference to something. I think, but I don't know to what. Uh, yeah do not know um i did think very it was it really did crack me up when a donut and quentin says that's that's for for me me. and just shoves the whole thing in his mouth that was very funny (laughs) that was that was a very good little guy and then the sandwich (laughs) the sandwich yes um and now why are they calling a meat cleaver a hatchet because it's not a hatchet so much it's a meat cleaver it's a meat cleaver. And I looked, I was like, do some people call that oh, a hatchet? No. no I looked it up. That's I not looked a thing. it up. A hatchet is a small axe and nothing else. <laughs> Why would you call a meat cleaver a hatchet? I was confused about that. As sharp the, as from... the devil himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That that was like the best like Quentin type dialogue in the whole in the whole short was that little exchange. Yeah. Um, I do feel like the dialogue in this, I wondered if some of it was like maybe improvised because of how long the takes were. Maybe. Or like 
it just a lot of it felt ordinary to me. Yeah, for something it, written by Quentin Tarantino. It definitely had Very sort of functional. an off the cuff vibe. It doesn't feel like it really gets going until the last like five minutes. It's true, um, because at this point they're like, you know, they've got everything, you know, brought over to the bar and set up. And Ted's like, "Well, if you don't need anything else, I'll just leave you weirdos alone. Right. Like, I don't, I know I don't want to participate in whatever's going on here, yeah. so please let me leave now." Um, and they're like, "Well, hold on." Uh, see, you, you, you have to play a part in this. And he's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not not about about that. Actually, from this point on, I really like his performance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's honestly, he's pretty inobtrusive in this whole segment. He's just, the only time in that whole movie where this is true. He's just being talked at and he's just standing there like, I don't want to be here. Uh, and it's funny. It's funny because yeah, everyone, as an audience member, we're uncomfortable. Yeah. So we're in his shoes. We're like, uh, please get me out of this the, the penthouse. First, the first time in the movie where that's been a success. Yeah, these crazy Hollywood people. But he's he's toned down a bit in this segment. Way toned down. I mean, it starts from the very beginning of the segment with his phone call to Betty. He's like yeah. behaving like a person. Yeah, like a for frantic. The first, for the first time in the whole movie. A frantic, exhausted, terrified person. Right. Which makes the whole previous events almost like more unsettling. Uh-huh. It just feels like a different movie at this point. Because it was directed by somebody else. It <laughs> sure was. Um, so at this point, uh, Tarantino starts telling him about what they're doing. And it's yep. funny because like Angela's like, can I just step in? And he's like, no, no, no. It's about the journey. <laughs> he's like, the way I'm telling it is taking him around the world. <laughs> yes. It's a journey. Um, but he ends up getting around to telling... Him about the bet based yeah. on the man from Rio, as right. they call it, um, where basically w- one person tries to light their Zippo lighter 10 yeah. times in a row without fail. If they succeed, they win the other person's car. Star. If they fail, the other person will chop, chop their little the finger, finger off. off. So he's like, I don't want to participate in that. That's crazy. I'm going to leave. And they're like, what about money? <laughs> and he's like, money, you say? This is, I think, my favorite part of the whole movie. Yeah. Is everything that happens after this. It's point. quite charming. It's really delightful. Because they're like, you can have $100 just to listen for a I'm, minute. Yes. And then they have like a stopwatch. Yeah. And the and whole, whole thing. Speech his is... whole speech about like, when you think back on this moment in your life, what do you want to remember it as? <laughs> and it's, you know, he's counting out like the $100 yep. bills uh-huh. one by one. You know, how many is that? Six? Okay. Seven. Eight. And it's like, it's a great, it's well-constructed moment. I think this is the first and only time for me in the whole movie where I felt some real connectedness to the material. Like there's a question you can't help but be intrigued by. Mm-hmm. It's like a real question. Right. You like, care about the consequences of this scenario. In the prior three segments, you're just like, this is sure some wacky shit that's happening. Man, what a weird but in night. this one, I was thinking like, if I was in a situation like this, what the hell would I do? Yeah, what do you do? And he's like, you can you can either walk away right now with your $100 or you can sit here and whatever happens, happens, and then you can leave with, with $1,000. For a second's worth of work, he says. Yes, and I love it because it's like, you know, before he's like, no, no way, no way, no way. And then yeah. he sits down and after this one minute pitch, he's like, he's just like, sure. Okay. And they're like, yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's just, 
just like, all right. <laughs> I think this uh, feeds into your uh, Commedia theory. Uh-huh. Because like, as soon as he is offered enough money for it to really be worth his while, he's calm. He's, he's collected. He's not so frantic anymore. Um, now, this is like the funniest moment in yeah. the entire movie. We get the classic Tarantino yes. overhead shot. Yes. It's very dramatic. We zoom in down, 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 yep. down, down <laughs> to the Zippo lighter. Yeah. And he it flicks it, it and it, it fails. Yeah. First try, yeah. doesn't light. Immediately, chop! My finger! Yeah. Grabs the money <laughs> and just <laughs> saunters out. Yep. It's so funny. <laughs> Flick, chop! Money. Just, yep. It's, it's the timing is Perfect. And I feel like the whole rest of the segment is just build up for that moment. That punchline is even it's, better than the Rodriguez one of just like, it's like, will he do it? Is he willing yeah. to? And then it's it, such a non thing. Like, the first <laughs> flick doesn't. Oh my God. It's so funny. It's so funny. Ugh. And then over the credits, we get the whole aftermath of right. it. Right. It's just like so. just watching Tim Roth exit down the hallway. Just He's taking the elevator. Yeah, just happy as a clam <laughs> with his thousand dollars. There's just screaming chaos yeah. happening around them. And just oh. like everything that happens with like, the last thing we see in this movie is Quentin with the, the finger in the bucket of ice doing a pratfall and ice going everywhere, <laughs> which is so ridiculous. It's so funny. So, like the one legitimately good bit of slapstick in the whole movie. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty charming. Uh, yeah, clearly, I mean, no surprise, but Quentin's segment is head and shoulders above oh, the rest. Oh, way better than it's the rest like, of it. Way, it's like, it's it still, actually feels like a movie. It still feels a little bit, like, of a weak link for his filmography, I guess. Oh, sure. I mean, because it just seems like he was just having a bit of fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was not a serious project. And it probably, you know, in 1995, right after Pulp Fiction, this was him, like, making fun of his newfound Hollywood A-list status. <laughs> right. Yeah. It feels very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. It's just a silly bit of fun. Um, you know, I realized we didn't even talk about the animated opening credits. Because they're fine. I just It's just the craziest thing that it's in this. It's just so funny fucking 90s it's so 90s it's, it feels almost for what it is a little low effort yeah it's just like this wacky cartoon opening sequence sort of foreshadowing the events of the movie it's like with this stupid yeah the stupid theme song yeah, yeah very pink panthery yeah. very just like wacky but there's just like little snippets of it like that was all they could be bothered to do like it doesn't mm-hmm. even go over the whole credits. Like, it cuts out, and you're like, oh, they only could animate half the credits, and then it comes back. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's it's a very weird choice. It's a very weird movie overall. And then we've got the same music over the end. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you about the music? I'd love you to. <laughs> music? And I don't know who made this decision, but I would really love to know, because this is the question with anthology films like this. Like, all the segments have their own editors and cinematographers and stuff. Right, Sally Mankey did yeah. the editing for changing yeah. the segment. Not that she had to do much. No. There aren't that many cuts. Not many. But it's good editing yeah, as far as it goes. I mean, that, that the end is really is, the is, crucial is, bit. Is, and uh, it's, it's priceless. Sally's impeccable yes. timing. Yes. But I wonder who makes a choice in a movie like this. About one band to do the music for the entire soundtrack. 
Which is what happened here. I want. I mean, like Lawrence Bender was like, like the, the pro- main producer. The main producer. So maybe that was his choice. I don't know, but the band is called Combustible Edison, which can't a, can't argue with that. According title. to Wikipedia, they were the foremost of a uh, revival wave of '90s uh, lounge music bands. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, sure. It's just a funny choice because they were like apparently like the preeminent like group leading this weird like non-genre this this, like micro resurgence in a tiny genre that no one cared about (laughs) and they like had some success yeah but in a pretty indie way i mean this was like this was like their biggest gig and they broke up four years later it sounds like the kind of thing that would be on quentin's radar yes even for him it's a little niche that's saying something It fits the movie perfectly. It does. It's weird. I don't mean that as a backhanded compliment. Right. It's like, if anything, that was like a good choice. One of the few. <laughs> that applies to the whole movie. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And maybe part of that is that it is consistent. Yes. <laughs> it was a choice for consistency. Yeah. You know, anthology movies are a struggle at the best of times. There's few that really turn out great. Yeah. Like... The only ones I can think of that I really remember fondly are like the ones that just throw a lot at you and hopefully at least half of it sticks like Paris Jatem. Yeah, sure. If that was 10 segments instead of 20, it would suck. Probably. Yeah. Depending on which But you just got just some little flavors. Just like try that. Sample that. Just a little bit. And then you can like find out about a director you never heard about or something. Uh I feel like the less segments are in an anthology film, the more I'm likely to dislike it. Well, and especially one that doesn't really have a framing device. You know, certain ones... And this ones... one has more than some. Well, yeah, but but what I a, guess... a central what, character. What I mean by that is, like, something to sort of delineate the segments from each other. Where it's like, right. we have to believe that this character is the same character through right. all of these. And that this is a sequential series of right. events. I think... Rather than something where it's like, discrete vignettes you know like comparing it to something like ballad of buster scruggs which isn't always a successful movie right but they gave themselves an easier job because they're all just supposed to be stories Stories in a book that theoretically exist in the same book yes or something like vhs where it's like we're these are just separate videos we're watching abcs of death or whatever yeah yeah those all have an easier job than four rooms which has a central character Mm mm-hmm and it can't decide who that central character is supposed to be. It's, they don't agree with each other, these no, segments. they don't. And that's really what makes it the hardest that's to what, watch, yeah, is the tonal whiplash. That's what makes it fall apart. Yeah. Because it was like trying, it almost like tries to hold your hand like you wouldn't know what to make of a full anthology film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... So it fails at being both. Not something I'd recommend. If you're curious... Check out the penthouse segment. Yeah. It's pretty good. I think it would be fine on its own. Oh, absolutely. It'd probably be better on its own. Yeah. There's a reason why I forgot I watched the rest of this movie. <laughs> it's very forgettable. <laughs> Weirdly, because it's so fucking bizarre. It's in, it's like intense. Like, I feel like these people could have made a horror anthology and been more successful. I think horror anthologies tend to be more successful. Just like with the amount of energy they brought to this uh-huh. movie, like misplaced comedy energy. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a really weird artifact from 1995. It's so, it's painfully 1995. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, it thinks it's tongue-in-cheek. So, I, I don't know, people like to talk now because A24 is such a big indie distributor about mm-hmm. like what makes a stereotypical A24 movie, quote-unquote. Sure. I feel like this is like the most Miramax movie to ever fucking Miramax. Yeah. To the point where it only seems to exist as like a curio for them to put out. Yeah. To put their name on and be like, look how quirky and indie we are. It's like on the verge of self-parody. Yes. But it's not quite self-aware enough to be that. It just feels, again, like... Yeah, it's just concentrated Miramax nonsense. Yeah, painfully so. Yeah. But you know... It has its moments. It's... It's silly. It, it was a funny thing to watch yeah. as a coda to this whole thing. This is a little wind down. It was this or Quentin Tarantino's CSI <laughs> episode. And that just didn't feel in the right spirit because it wasn't a feature film. Exactly. And this is functionally that. Yes. Functionally, it was a film that did play in theaters. theaters. And Quentin Tarantino was a writer and director on it. That's yes. all we get ask. That's my review of Four Rooms. It's a film. It's a film. It Put that on the back of the box. Sure, a film. It's Defin- a- definitely a real movie. <laughs> <laughs> if that was on the DVD box for Four Rooms, I wouldn't even be a bit surprised. <laughs> definitely a real movie that exists. We promise. Okay, well, Leonora... I think we've come to the time. We've really done it. Where we have to, we have to do it. We have to do the thing. We've we've procrastinated so much that we watched four rooms. <laughs> we we did we did that <laughs> just so we didn't have to break them right away. Are we putting four rooms in our ranking? No. Okay. I mean, we know where it goes. Yes. But <laughs> we don't need to say it. Yeah. So we have 10 films yes. that we need to put into an order. Now, we've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. This, we love all of these films. And we do not think that necessarily there is a correct way to rank them. There's not. <laughs> There's not. Because at a certain point, it really just comes down to personal taste. Yeah. You know, and so in some, for, for my rankings, I was really struggling with, you know, like some movies where I'm like, this is 100% my taste, mm-hmm. but you know, I think that what this movie is saying is more important. Yeah. And so it's hard yeah. to balance the different priorities, the different values that I have mm-hmm. in these movies because some of them are, you know, really brilliant pieces of filmmaking and saying really important things and they're not as fun to watch right whereas other ones are a great time right but aren't necessarily speaking to something as important or relevant i had to go for a combination i, I did just too. one or the other i did too i i so it was just kind of like what in between these, for each movie yeah which yeah what what value is what outweighing the other in this particular matchup it was hard i have a ranking And I don't stand by it. I don't stand by mine either. (laughs) Like, this is how I feel right now. Yeah. But I would absolutely change my mind were I to go through and watch this I literally just changed mine a little bit while you were saying that. (laughs) And I might change it right back. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. 
Are you are you ready to do this? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna start at number ten. Yes. Work our way up to number one. We're gonna compare each ranking. We don't yes. necessarily need to. We can belabor it as much as we feel like. Yes. You know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm probably going to. I'm probably going to sound more negative about the films at the bottom than uh-huh. I feel just because I'm going to be taking up time explaining my rationale for why they're there. Right. So this, again, the preface is we love... We both love all of all them. All of them very much. Yes. We find them all to be fantastic films. We, this I, was so difficult. This was so difficult and ultimately pointless. Yes. So here we go, doing something hard... Yes. And pointless and unpleasant. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yay. <laughs> We're doing it for you. Yes. Okay. <sighs> okay, number 10. Number 10. Mine is Reservoir Dogs. Same. Okay. Okay. And it's not that it's it's great. Yeah. I mean, go it's, back, listen yeah. to our episode. We loved that movie. But, you know, he wasn't... Yeah. He, he didn't have a lot to say yet. This is his first movie. It does feel like it's the one I have the most struggle, like, finding a character to connect to. Right, yeah. And, and it's one of, it has like its emotional intensities and its high moments and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it's, Yeah, it's a very enjoyable film to watch. It's working on the level of a lot of other films in its genre. He, yes, he hadn't realized his potential yet. Exactly. But it's an incredible first film. Yeah. So it was the only one that was easy to rank. And even for me, because I just felt bad putting anything in last yeah. place. I was just like... <laughs> something I, has to go here. I was just like... I feel like with Reservoir Dogs, it's an easy way to like numb the pain of having to put something in right. last Right. It's like, place. well, you know, obviously it's his first film. He yeah. was still learning. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't say much about the film that it's there. Mm-hmm. Because it's his first movie. Mm-hmm. Number two. Number nine. <laughs> or, yeah. Very fair. Fair. That's more accurate to call it that. We're counting down. Yes, I. Uh, I'm gonna get some. I'm gonna get I feel some like angry. People notes. are gonna be angry for me also. Yeah. Okay, mine is Pulp Fiction. Same. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Again. Yeah. Like, great movie. It's great. Fantastic. It's great. Fabulous movie. But again, yeah, yeah, yeah. he wasn't saying a lot yet. Yeah. This is my thought. I think Pulp Fiction is great as like a collage, a mood board. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, a vibe. It, yeah. it's a vibe. It's not putting together a like unified plot line that makes you really feel intense emotion. It doesn't have much of a point. And there's not a lot of social commentary. Like its uh-huh. whole point is like vibing. Like yeah. And I love the vibe. I yes. love the vibe. I've watched this movie like a hundred yes. times. Oh, same. I love Absolutely. this vibe. But it's a vibe. Yeah, it's a vibe. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Okay. Wow. I was like, yeah. Wow. Are we gonna? But no. As always, Leonora, we are on the same page. I don't know if that's going to hold up as we go. Probably this is where we're going to diverge. Yeah, probably so. But we'll see. I'm going to like shit if we... (laughs) If (laughs) if number eight is the same. I know. Okay. All right. Okay. Number eight. The Hateful Eight. I put Django. Okay. 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 You want to go? Yeah. I just think... I mean, I loved it. Mm Mm-hmm. I love it. I just think it's, it's, it's a little fluffy for the uh mm-hmm. time period in his filmography in which it came out a little flabby yeah 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 absolutely yeah absolutely, absolutely. i mean i feel like for me mm-hmm. it was a really cathartic movie to watch and mm-hmm. an exciting movie to watch mm-hmm. and it makes me smile to think about it mm-hmm. um but yeah it just i was looking at it compared to all of the others 
And mm-hmm. I was like, he can have a slightly shaggy one in there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. It's but fair. that was the only rationale for why it's there. Yeah, I feel uncertain about putting Hateful Eight here. Mostly it's because, again, it is an incredible film. Right. And it, it's it's very well made and it's saying something really difficult and important. Right. And also I just don't like watching it as much. That's fair. And that's, this is the one, the choice I had to make where it's just like, but what would I put on? Yeah. Like if I yeah, was yeah, going to yeah. watch a movie, what would I watch? And yeah. I frankly would watch Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction before I would watch Hateful right. Eight again. Not because it's not good. It's too good. That's where we <laughs> diverge. And uh-huh. I think it's just because for me, I find Hateful Eight satisfying to watch in Uh spite of its difficulty as a film because of how precisely it's constructed. It is. And Django Unchained is a more fun movie to watch, but it's not precisely constructed. Yes. In my opinion. And so, and that's when it just comes down to personal values and priority. It's just like, what are you watching a movie for? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. And for me, it would even depend on the day. Right? Right. Absolutely. The day, the hour, the minute, the mood. Yes. Right? Yes. But yeah, just thinking about it, of this whole list, it's one I'm much less likely to put on. Sure. Yeah. That's so legit. that's it. That's all it is. Yeah. Okay. Seven. You're, you're going to be upset with me. I don't think so. But finally, yeah, my number seven is Django Unchained. Minus, the... minus Kill Bill Volume 1. Okay. You know what? That's fine. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I understand. <laughs> uh, Django for me, uh, basically the same things that you said. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I just enjoy watching it more than yeah. I enjoy watching Hateful Eight. That's that's very understandable. Because it, it's, I mean, I just, I love the character of Django. Yeah. I love the character of King. Absolutely. Like they're just so charming and likable, and yeah. that's just nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Absolutely. nice. And I'm, and I love. You know, that Django is such a multidimensional character when so often figures like him don't get to be. Yeah, And so that's what I love about it. But it is a little bit messy. Yeah, that's, I mean, it was sort of a given that it was going to end up a little bit lower just by virtue of that. It was a weird time in his career. Yeah, it was Um, sort of a transitional time. Yeah, he was still getting a handle and, you know... Frank was, that's his name, right? Yeah, Yeah. Fred Raskin. Fred, thank you. Fred was still... Yeah, learning the ropes. Getting the handle of this very daunting task. Yeah. And they did a good yeah, job for what so. what they were dealing with. I think it's one of his stronger movies in terms of like the characters depicted. Yes. It's just like when I think about watching it, I've never not enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I've also never gotten all the way through it with full momentum. Right. <laughs> Well, and I always I, get to the last hour and I get tired. I, I wonder now, like... Would this movie have been better if Christoph Waltz hadn't fallen off that horse? <laughs> if he hadn't broken his pelvis and oh, had to get the wagon no. and they had to put in that whole segment with the yeah. blowing up the wagon sequence, would it have been a better movie? Very well, possibly. I mean, it's interesting because, again, for me, my energy always starts to flag when I realize that when they get to Candyland, we're only halfway through the film. Mm-hmm. And then when my energy really starts to flag is when Calvin is killed and then there's still an hour left. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, though, if that's more of an issue in the first half of the movie, but you don't notice it because it's like jaunty fun times. Jaunty fun times, but then it starts to wear on you that you've been watching this movie for a while. Right. If we didn't have that whole wagon to dispose of. It's a good point. I don't know. It's a good point. Uh, so yeah, that's just one of the things that sticks out to me as like a, a, a blemish. Yeah, sure. But 
it's still funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's still funny to see it that is. tooth wagon blow it up. Is. So, <laughs> what is so? Kill Bill. Kill Bill, Volume One. Yeah. Is is only so? Listen, if we were ranking Kill Bill as a singular entity, I was struggling with that same idea. It would place differently. Yes. And. Kill Bill Volume 2 is much higher in my list. And I feel like that's because part of me is like, I have to fill these lower slots. Mm-hmm. And Volume 2 for me hits me in the feelings. Yes. And Volume 1 is more like like you did to start this thing off. When I think about it, I think I'd put that on in the background for a good time. Uh-huh. And, and yes, and I will say... If you dig I, into it, there's a lot to dig into. I did rank Volume 2 higher than Volume 1, for right. sure. Uh it, and I think it's an interesting case where Volume 2, like, retroactively makes Volume 1 better. Yes. But... That's also true. That's why it's so hard to if, rank them separately. Yeah. And so if they were just one film... Yes. Then altogether, it is a, it's greater yes. than the sum of its parts. But when I think about Volume 1 on its own, which is how I interpreted the task yes. at hand, that's where I would put it. And if I was mm-hmm. ranking Kill Bill as a singular entity, it wouldn't even touch this half of the list. Right. Yep. Yep, yep. So that's just kind of how it goes. Completely understandable and priority there. I think it's there. a powerhouse movie, but it's like not transcending the genre movie so much as it is like a great installment mm-hmm. of one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I get it. All right. This is number six. Yeah, and this is where I start. This is the one I'm feeling the most contentious about. I'm uncomfortable with my choice here, too. Yeah. Mine is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I put death proof. Okay. 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 Now I don't feel good about it. <laughs> okay. Well, we won't, we won't, we won't take you too seriously here then. <laughs> this is the point where I'm just like, I love all of these. Right. And it, it just feels kind of like arbitrary. How, I didn't know how to rank anything past this point. Mm-hmm. I put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood here and I believe that my feelings on it will evolve because right. it is the newest one. Right. And I just haven't sat with it for long enough. Yeah, 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 of course. I, I mean, think it's remarkable and I love it. Um, I think that the ones that I put higher on the list are just more sort of personally impactful to me. Whereas right. at this point, I don't think that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is too personally impactful to me. Right. Incredible film, amazing performances. I really love it. And it's doing something really interesting, which I am still in the process of right. sort of digesting right so i'm i'm not finished with this one yet yeah that's like (laughs) i mean it's the wild card really it's a it's it stands out oddly it's like the one it kind of like infiltrated quite high into my ranking i'll Mm -hmm. just say and i'm still thinking about that and Mm -hmm. i think it got quite high for the same reason you ranked it where you ranked it Mm -hmm. where i'm just like it gives you so much to chew on and I'm chewing. I'm chewing. And yeah, <laughs> I did actually originally have it higher. And then I was like, no, I can't put it above these movies that I already yeah. love so much. I'm not ready of to put it up there. Of course. Because it's we're, we're both still thinking about it. Yes. It's going to change. It has not. I have not internalized it yet. It was the one. And I think this was my rationale for putting it higher. That as soon as it was, as soon as it was over, I'm like, I'm going to need to rewatch this at least twice more before I fully understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still chewing on it. So death proof, though. Yeah, and this was the one that I changed, uh-huh. and I swapped it out for another movie, and I'll talk about that when we get yeah. to it. Because I was just... It's really just because 
like it had to go somewhere. And originally <laughs> I had it much higher. And it's not, there's not even any reason. You like, just had to put... <laughs> there's just, it's just everything I put above it, I thought I would maybe... Because I guess I feel like Death Proof is great and amazing. Mm-hmm. And, but in terms of like rewatch value, which I think is something we're both thinking about a lot in this yes. ranking. I think I would rewatch it to like reinforce the ways in which I already know it's great not to glean new things from it. Yeah. Because it's pretty much putting it all out there for Right, you. if you're willing to pay attention. Right, yes. <laughs> but that's my thing. And this is why discussion of this movie is so frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. It is so obvious about what it is doing mm-hmm. that there should be no excuse to toss it out like people do. Yeah, it's weird that you could miss it. And I feel like in a weird way, me ranking it as low as I have gives it the benefit of the doubt, if that makes sense. (laughs) Okay. Like, I feel like Death Proof as a movie believes that what it's saying should be obvious. It knows it's an obvious film. The fact that its message is not considered obvious and is overlooked is a failing of society, (laughs) not a failing of the film. Yeah. But I think Death Proof, I feel like, I feel like... (sighs) I feel like it was made in such a spirit that me putting it in a sort of B movie position on this list is, is, is in the spirit of the film itself. And that's my only justification. (laughs) And it might've been a mistake. Okay. We need to pause here because William has arrived home. So we have to let him in. He doesn't actually have a house key right now. That makes sense. Cause he just had to get his car keys replaced and his house key was on it. Oh no. So uh, good reason to pause. Yes. And I'm, in a good moment between... Yes. Between right. places. Oh, wow. I was sitting on my foot back. Oh, no. You need to get a house. But we are still recording. Good job. Okay, so we're going to try and figure out how many. Because we're refueling our rankings, so... Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm headed upstairs. Mm. Okay. Mm. Oh, yeah. Don't sit on foot. <laughs> <laughs> I do that all. Yes. Oh my bones. It's painful. Okay. Oh god. So that was number six. Yes. Now we are in the top five. Top five. I feel better now. You feel more comfortable. I don't, I don't have to justify placing things low anymore. Right. Right. Okay. My number five <clears throat> mm-hmm. is Kill Bill Volume One. Uh huh. Mine is Hateful Eight. Okay. I'm cu- I want to hear, I mean, I think I know why you placed yeah. yours where you did, but like it's here you talk about it. It's stylish. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah. Oh, very much. Like, yes. I think it is actually a post-Sally movie that feels really well edited to me. Yes. Fred f- found his feet yes. here. And I don't know. I'm interested by every single character. I don't think there's any flab on it as a movie. No. It just, it just really, really keeps my attention, which I guess is a high priority. Yeah. It is it is intensely well constructed. And I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's challenging also. <laughs> um, yeah, Kill Bill Volume 1, it's just so dear to me. Of course. It's just so deeply dear of to course. me. Of course. It's a special movie for it's, you. It's important to me in my life. Yeah. And I just, it's just, I just very much enjoy watching it. I just love it. And Absolutely. I would watch it at any time. So, you know, I can't put it at the very, very top because I know there are other films that I think are um more important right. but 
I just love it. That's all yeah, I can say about it. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, number four. Number four. Kill Bill Volume 2. Same. <laughs> okay. Same like, again. We found each other. Uh, yeah. I mean, it just, we cried talking yes, about this film. Exactly. What else can we say? It's it's moving. It's impactful, especially as a woman. Yeah, like, exactly. It just, it, it it's shockingly powerful. Yes. And I, I can't think of a single other, like, well, because now we're sort of, lucky as a moment i don't know if that's a thing to say but right now there are a lot more action movies starring women than there have been in the past yes there are new ones coming out like we get to talk about that more than we maybe did when the kill bills right early 2000s pickens were slim but this is like the only one in that subgenre if it is such a thing that like goes so far into like humanizing the main character and the main villain yes without like it doesn't get maudlin yes and it doesn't toss out any of the action like that's Mm -hmm. still important yes a woman crawls out of a grave exactly (laughs) but just the place where it ends up is so next level for me really remarkable stuff um you know he quentin was proving that he still had the emotional depths that he pulled out for jackie brown yes uh, you exactly. know, he, he, he gave us a real fun, easy entry with volume one yeah. and then volume two, he's like, but guess what? Yeah. This is still what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good job, Quentin. Okay. Top three. Top three. Number three. Number three. Death proof. Yeah, and I put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Which is the one I think I've struggled to place the most. So we we was, had opposites yeah, there. Yeah, we, we flipped it. And and honestly, my last minute change was swapping Death Proof and Kill Bill Volume 2 because I was like, wow, I was severely underrating Kill Bill Volume 2. Something else has to take that slot. Yeah. Um, But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's just because I'm still thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, it's not that often that I watch a movie and I'm like, wow, this is above my pay grade as a movie viewer intellectually yeah <laughs> i respect that a it's, hell of a lot it it's challenging but in a different way than like hateful eight because hateful eight isn't super fun to think about it's yeah it's it's challenging in a in a way that makes you do a lot of work yeah whereas once upon a time in hollywood is like sort of noodling around with a bunch of different themes and you can just sort of noodle around and think about them yeah and it's not too excruciating yeah, it's fun, it's wild, it's cool. Exactly. Uh yeah, it's a it's a good ride. Um yeah, I mean Death Proof, I think for me, I just I just ranked it a lot higher because for me, I just I just find it to be so fun and stylish yes. and cool and yes. I I love a horror. I'm Absolutely. I'm big in horror. So just like Kurt Russell's performance is everything to yes. me. <laughs> Absolutely everything and that whole, I ever wanted. The whole last sequence it's, is perfect cinema. It's so good. It's so exciting. And yet it's still saying something so fucking important. Yes. That yes. I, it just blows me away that it could be such a fun time while still just punching you in the face like, hey, guess what, motherfucker? Yes. This is the point. Yes. Like <laughs> it's it's a great balancing act and it and it and it's so unassuming. Yes. It barely takes itself seriously exactly, at all. <laughs> exactly. I mean that's why I felt like if movies had feelings, it wouldn't begrudge me putting it in the bottom half of the right. list. Right. 
I'm sure. I mean, Quentin himself said it had to be the worst movie that he ever right. made. But at the same time, that's sad because it's so perfect. It's so perfect. It, it, I mean, because that is one thing that, you know, Ryan Hollinger, I agree with. You know, it's a fantastic pastiche. Right. It is, it's an immaculate pastiche. Right. But uh, it is saying something also. It, it is. Undeniably. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and in fact, it is a commentary on the genre yes. itself. Yes. Well, and here's my last sort of like. Ooh, big, 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 big brain, pro- big brain thought about death proof. <laughs> I think the experience of, of being a woman and watching films in that genre is often complicated. Like yes. you, you, you bring through life experience. It's kind of unfortunate that it is this way, but through life experience, you bring your own layer yeah. to watching movies like that. Yeah. And death proof is like one of the few movies that like acknowledges that and accounts for that and exists on that layer already as well. Yes. I don't know how he understands so well, but he does. He understands. It's shocking. Yeah. Who knew? Uh, so yeah, death, death proof just hit me right in my heart. It Absolutely. just really landed there. Uh, okay. Two. Two. Jackie Brown. I put in Glorious Bastards. Okay, so our top two are just, <laughs> just, just flip-flop. Just a little bit, yeah. Uh-huh, okay. So, I mean, we can just have a conversation about numbers about one and numbers two. numbers one and two. Yes. Because my number one was Jackie Brown. Yeah. So, J- Jack, Jackie Brown, man. And I could easily have these the other way that around. That was saying. It was it just was, kinda, It's almost a tie. Almost. Uh... God, it's just so smart. Yes. And so romantic and yes. so impactful. Like, I, I was telling you before we started recording that I went back and actually revisited our episode on it to sort of refresh my memory. Yeah. And God, it's good. <laughs> it's so good. It's it's like understated, though. Like, it sneaks up on you. It does. Like, even in the time since we've watched it. I was forgetting how good it was. Same, which is why I had to go back and I was like, oh, that moment is so fucking good. And that choice is so fucking smart. And that character is so fucking brilliant. Yes, like exactly that. It, uh, like, it, it, it's fucking, it's a sneaky film. Yes. it's It doesn't announce itself. Exactly. Like some of these other films. Um, and that is special. Yeah. It's, it's just different than the rest of them yeah it is it is different uh and pam greer is incredible a goddess she's so remarkable and our max cherry yes. is a favorite character in anything he's such a sweetie he's so good and he just like the more you pay attention to that character the better he is yes because exactly he's just he's always making the compassionate choice yes and he's just a good fucking person and one of the best samuel l jackson performances in his whole career so scary but so grounded yes incredible incredible and michael keaton is also there doing a good job robert de niro being embarrassing oh man yeah it's just an amazing film saying something that you know it was crazy that a white male american filmmaker was even willing or interested in saying in 1997 yeah Yeah. like how did that how it's crazy yeah it's crazy yeah so good job quentin we're very proud of you yes (laughs) 
And then Inglorious. Inglorious Bastards. It's just a delight. It's just a special one. It's a treat and a treasure. Yes. And a, and a gift to Yes. Us. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's smart. It's hilarious. Yes. It has two of the greatest cinematic performances yes. I've ever seen. Yes. In its two leads, Brad Pitt and Christoph Waltz. Yep. They are just dynamic. Yep. Oh. And Melanie Laurent. Oh, Melanie Laurent. My angel. Yes. <laughs> She's so, so remarkable. Those three mm-hmm. are just too much for words. And it's it's such a movie. Like, it... Mm-hmm. I don't even. At the end, you gotta be like Quentin. Yeah, you're, you're right. right. It's your masterpiece. Okay. You gotta give it to him. <laughs> you gotta give it to the man. Uh, it's and it and it's like it. It's so smart and so fun at the yes. same time. Yes. It's just a joy to watch. It's, it's an I mean it was an instant classic, but it's it holds up even better now. Uh, oof, no kidding. If anything like it's one of these weird things because you know, before like I mean, I don't know. The world is worse <laughs> now. Yeah. I mean, arguably. That makes it a better movie. Yeah it's it's just so incredible to me that that he could make a movie that has such smart and subtle things to say yes. about politics and yes. fascism yes. and bigotry yes and still just be fucking fun well here's the thing to me this to me is why inglorious bastards is brilliant yeah and it's similar to why Death Proof is brilliant. Mm-hmm. He's matter of fact about it. Mm-hmm. And I think this is something that's missing from a lot. And honestly, I mean, there hasn't really been enough in media in the last few years, in my opinion. But what's missing from a lot of like media commentary about fascism is that it's not. It's so it's as matter of fact as we always should be about how evil Nazis are. It's it's almost just a given. It is a given. It's why is that so uncommon? Yeah, because like I, again, I was again I was talking to Will about this when I was talking about placing it at number one. Mm-hmm. That it's like yeah, it doesn't need to show you what's bad about yeah. the Nazis. It trusts you to know. Yeah, it trusts you to already hate Hitler. Well, and this is the thing. That's why it's kind of painful that it's like aged well in the face of like political attempts in the u.s mm-hmm. in the last decade to normalize fascism essentially mm-hmm. because it feels refreshing right and it's sad that it does it doesn't have any need to give any time to fascists no it's except, just like no yeah. they're fascists that's yeah. that's there's it. no there's this movie is not interested in debate mm-hmm like the There's one no debate to be had. Yeah, we open with a scene of Nazi atrocity, and that's all we needed. And in, really, in, in it's this, just to set this, up a character. In this movie, debate is dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that's where Schultz does, or Londa Schultz. Yeah, that's where Londa does his work. Yeah, you know, he 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 tricks you. Exactly. He persuades you. Exactly. He talks around you. Yeah, and he doesn't even fucking believe in what he's talking about. Yeah. he's just manipulating and i don't think most movies 
about fascists or about Nazis necessarily want to admit that their words have power as well as their like physical atrocities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's also just a given for this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's smart. Yeah. And I mean, again, what it's saying should be obvious. And he just expects you to be on that page. Yeah. And it's not like he's saying, it's not like he's self-congratulatory at all for saying no, something he's that just like, let's, obvious. That's, let's, he's just like, this is, this is obvious. Let's, that's let's, a waste of time. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on. Yeah. Like, it's not up for debate. Let's get to but the... so many artists are afraid to do that. Yeah. Which is insane. But you know what? Quentin Tarantino is never, as a filmmaker, afraid. Yes, true. <laughs> He's never been afraid of anything. He's There's very little that could be considered compromising in no, his work. No, he doesn't compromise. He doesn't hedge. He fucking yes. makes his movies. Yes. And thank God they're good. Yeah. And correct. Yeah. Like, thank you, God he's saying yeah. the right things. You have to respect his straightforwardness. His integrity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was the thing for me. Like, I think, and it's interesting, I think part of his reputation as a filmmaker, it's been weirdly clouded by all these things. I don't think it's just internet bros. I think it's like, think piece writers and journalists oh, well, and yeah, all those, those people like those types he's really you know being he's getting it from all sides right mm -hmm. like i feel like there's a tendency from his fans to sort of lean into like edge lordiness or something like that to combat this yeah. perception of like conservative critics saying his films are too violent or what have you uh-huh um and I don't know where I was going with that, but but no, no, yeah, I I I take your point that it's just like it. He's he's sitting in a unique place yes. where it's like a lot of his um, supporters aren't helping. Yeah, exactly. And his exactly. detractors are, are engaging in the bad point. faith. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that. They're not thinking about like why is this there. They're just thinking like this is there. That's bad. Mm-hmm. And good on him for not backing down yeah for continuing he, he, for not you know trying to appease anyone and this is the thing and i think this says something important about how at least it made me think a lot about how i watch movies watching these this time this way mm -hmm. because when you engage with his filmography like on what i would assume is his level mm -hmm. as in just watching the films and then reading about them afterwards mm-hmm viewing each film almost in a vacuum, but only the vacuum of personal experience. Yeah. It feels pretty safe. Like, you don't feel like he's going to do you dirty. No. Like, in terms of themes or, like, which character you're going to root for, or which, where people end up, or how... Even how violence is depicted, honestly. He's not trying to mess with you. No. Like, he, they're pretty honest films. Yeah. And you don't... I, I didn't feel like... I didn't really feel like I was cringing at anything. Like... <laughs> No. Which was a big surprise to me, given what I would have expected. Right. At every given moment. Given all the pearl clutching. I felt safe <laughs> yeah. in his hands. It's just like, like I, I know that I I can trust what you mean here. Exactly. I can trust exactly what you're that. saying. Exactly that. Yeah. You're not, because I feel like there have been past times when I've watched certain films of his and I've watched and I've seen things happen in them and I've been like, what is that? What, what's going on there yeah. buddy yeah like the like the misogynistic violence and hateful eight or what have you yeah for, or it's like no example. i i know why this is here yeah. and it's 
and it's a fair reason. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's not, and maybe it's just like we've, we've been in the Tarantino bubble. Like you, watch, <laughs> you go watch one Tarantino movie when it comes out and then another one three years later, uh-huh. it's going to sort of pack a punch uh-huh. because most other films are not operating, aren't operating that on that yeah. level. Yeah. Yeah. But, I... but just to sit down and watch them all through was a 100% positive experience. Highly recommended. I mean, you know, it'd be a while before I'd want to do it again. Yeah. I would yeah. want to do it again. Absolutely. This isn't the last time either of us will, will do this. Right. And, and, and in between, I will watch various selections Absolutely. on their own. Absolutely. I love them. Yes. And I love them now more than ever. Same. What a treat. What a joy this was. I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> no, no, So, so I can't think of a better place to leave it. Yes. Just, it Just was with, on a note of joy. It really was like, c- good job, buddy. We yes. love your work. Thank I, you. Thank, thank you, you Quentin Tarantino. For everything you've done for us <laughs> and for America. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just having too much fun. Yes. We, we gotta, we gotta keep the party rolling. Yeah. We can't... This can't be the end. There's too many other directors out there who deserve the same level of scrutiny Mm -hmm. and dedication and interest. So... We've been talking a lot about who who those people might be. Yes, we've kicked around a lot of possibilities. So many names. And, you know, there are definitely some that we've got, you know, sort of potentially for the future. Absolutely. But we felt that at this time... Yes. For ourselves, there was one correct choice. Absolutely. And and who is that, Leonora? It's Guillermo del Toro. It's our boy Guillermo. <laughs> and I'm I'm happy to be um, uh, talking about a filmmaker of color. Yes. Uh, that's important. Yes. Um, you know, he's got a filmography of, of approximately the same length. Yeah, it's 10 feature films. And there's some shorts. Yeah. So, so that's... What's up next? Yeah. I'm just delighted. Yes. It's going to be a real different experience. Very different. Very different. Uh-huh. Most of them are shorter. Most of them are shorter. I feel like the kind of discussion that we're going to have around that is going to be necessarily different. The type yeah. of... The, the, the format of the conversation may yeah. be different because the movies just function in a different way. And it's it may vary a lot between movies. Yes. Because we're going to be discussing... Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy. And Blade 2. Exactly. <laughs> so, and The Shape of Water. These are Pacific there's a lot, Rim. There's, there's a lot so, of variety. Yes. So that's going to be fun to just yes. really have a lot of different modes, a lot of different themes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be a really enjoyable ride. Oh, yes. Um. So that's going to be coming this fall. We're going to yes. take a little summer break to yep. get ready to do some other projects um plan stuff for the future yes absolutely we do have some very fun ideas that need a little more (laughs) more workshopping but but i i can tell you i i'm really excited about our future as a collaborative duo which by the way we need a name for we do need a new title because Frankly, we need two new titles. Yes. Because we got to figure out what we're going to call this Del Toro adventure. Yes. But and I think we need an overarching We need name. to know what this whole project is called because Quarantino cast yes. is just not accurate anymore. Not for multiple reasons. <laughs> so many reasons. 
happens. God, I hope by September we're not still quarantined. We'll see. We'll see what happens. A lot uh, of factors in play. Yeah. People listening to this in the future. Oh boy. It's not great. Uh, well, I'll be curious. To see <laughs> yeah, we'll what see. What it sounds like. This fall, what is gonna... This fall. If we are still <laughs> If we here. are alive. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, I guess I do want to put out there, if... If you you all have any thoughts, ideas about fun please, titles, please please send us suggestions. My Twitter is at that Jackanapes. Mine is at Leo Lermontov. Uh, and I would love to hear your thoughts not only about what we can call ourselves because I hate titling things, Same. but also about this whole venture. Yes. What are you, what's your ranking? Why do you feel that way? Do you think that we've missed the mark somewhere? Yes, please share your rankings. I want to share your your Tarantino hot takes. I want the hottest of takes for this hot summer. Yes. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Same. <laughs> this is a lot. The the important thing to remember is we're going to keep doing the film a week filmography thing. Yes. Now. That is the next project. We're doing the same thing. Um, yeah, Del Toro. Yes. Keep uh, an eye out. We will be putting out a trailer um, yes. later in the summer. Um, <laughs> once we have a title. And more Del Toro related puns. Yes. Um, but it should be on the same um, feed. So yes. just subscribe. Stay subscribed. It will turn into that. Yep. Um, and these so episodes will still be around. They'll still be around. Um but we're going to have a season two. Yeah. Season two. It's Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo Gosh, del Toro. I'm excited. It's going to be yes, so much it's fun. It's going to be so fun. I'm so curious. I'm a little scared, but I'm mostly curious and excited. It'll be exciting. Excited. Yes. And maybe if you have suggestions for filmographies. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We have... Um, Quite a few ideas. We've considered the idea of doing actor filmographies but that seems to mostly be a foolhardy and painful endeavor we looked at a lot of actors we love and they've all been in 50 movies 30 of which suck at least you know like i looked some some people it's like you got 105 movies how You've did you been do? acting for 10 years <laughs> how did you do that so um you know it would be it would be pretty challenging to figure yeah. out how to handle something like that so but it doesn't necessarily have to be directed it doesn't necessarily have to be um but it definitely at this point is has been the most um manageable yeah manageable is the right word. cohesive uh so that's it for quarantino cast that's the whole quarantino <laughs> yeah it's not the whole quarantine but, but but we did all the movies we did them all oh, and, and it was amazing it was so much fun okay well until september until september we love you and stay safe stay safe out there thanks for listening to quarantino cast if you enjoyed it consider giving us a review and don't forget to tell your friends Subscribe on your player of choice so you don't miss an episode. Our theme music is by Steve DeLay.